The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about eight miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 10 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. In today's sermon, we hear the conclusion of the message begun yesterday on the proper mode of baptism. We have begun to see that the word baptism itself means to immerse and that further scriptural evidence points to immersion as the only proper mode of baptism. We will continue today on this topic and we will also begin to look at the fact that only believers are proper candidates for the baptismal pool. Join us today for the conclusion of this message, which answers the question, how do we baptize, and also, whom do we baptize? But first, we have a song selection, and after this, please stay tuned for the message. Hear the blessed Savior calling me oppressed, O ye have laid unto me and rest, come no longer
if you recall, what happened there is he came up to him and evangelized him. And verse 36, it said, they went on their way and came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Now, now time out. That wasn't the only water they had, was it? I mean, they're traveling through the desert back to a kind of a desert land, Ethiopia. You know, they didn't just say, well, we hope we'll run into all these rivers out here in the desert and we'll have all the kind of water that we need. No, they brought water with them. They had water skins and water pots. No telling. I don't know how they transported it, but they carried it with them. They didn't have to get to a certain water. They didn't have to go someplace else. They could have just taken out that water in those water skins and 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 dampened their brow, poured it on their head, sprinkled it, if indeed that was the way you get baptized. But that's not what happened. Here he said, we've come to this certain water. He said, now here is water. See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? <laughs> and he goes on to say, if thou believest with all thine heart, which will hopefully come to either this week or the next time. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. They went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. At that certain water, they went down into the water, and they came up out of it. It says in verse 39, they were come up out of the water. And of course, you know that Philip then was transported by the Spirit somewhere else. See, the Scriptures support the fact that baptism is by immersion. And that's what we believe here at this church. And, and think about it. The symbolism of baptism demands that, does it not? I mean, what are we symbolizing here? Remember, remember back in our, in our text over there, we were talking in, in 1 Peter 3. It's, you know, it started out about Christ hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, uh, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. What happened to Christ? He was buried in a borrowed grave. He was put under the earth. He was put in maybe the side of a mountain. I don't know how it worked then, but he was put in a tomb. And then he came out of that tomb. And remember that baptism is a, one of the two ordinances of the church. It is an enactment of the gospel message. And therefore it symbolizes the believer's identification with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Turn over to Romans chapter 6 for a minute. Look at this. We, we went there I think last time, but let's look at it again. Notice what we see in Romans chapter 6 at verse 3. He's talking about baptism here. He says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Now the, the, the general context, the more expanded context is there were some that were saying, it's okay to keep sinning if we're born again. You know, we can do that. He said, God forbid. He said, because when you were baptized, you symbolized something. There was something that was symbolized by your baptism. It was your identification with the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And see, the idea there is that after we've been baptized, baptized in particular, we should walk with newness of life. Now, we ought to do that anyway, and there will be a change in our hearts and in our lives when we're born again. But see, the baptism is something even deeper. It's a commitment. You know, it's a commitment to the, your, to the Lord to walk faithfully, to be part of His church, and to be faithful to it. He says, Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death. Okay, there's the death. 
Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That's the burial, see? That like as Christ was raised up from the dead, that's the resurrection. So what does baptism show? It shows the death and the burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we place the candidate under the water and we bring the candidate back up out of the water, we're enacting the gospel message that Jesus Christ put away our sins by his death, burial, and resurrection. He says that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And he goes on to talk about how we shouldn't serve sin anymore. Now think about that. Colossians tells us in Colossians 2.12, we're buried with him in baptism, risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. I want you to ask, ask you this question. Was Jesus' body laid out there on top of the earth in the open and people came along and threw a few clods of dirt on it? No. Would you think that was a proper burial? You, you were, you know... If you have a loved one that passes away and you take them out there to the, to the cemetery and you get out there and there's been no grave dug, what are you going to do? We're just going to lay that casket on top of the ground and then we're just going to scatter a little dust and dirt over it. That's not a burial. <laughs> in fact, that's illegal in Alabama, you see. So you don't do that. And that's not a, that's not a proper burial. Christ was buried. He wasn't buried necessarily like we do it today where we dig a hole. He was probably placed in a tomb on the side of a mountain. I don't, we don't know, but he was buried under the earth. And he came forth. And that's what baptism symbolizes, you see. That's how we do it. That's how we baptize. Now, I want to talk for a few minutes and we wrap this up and bring it to a close about who, who we baptize. Who we baptize. Who we baptize is enshrined in our articles of faith as follows. It's Article 7. It talks about, we believe that baptism and the Lord's Supper are ordinances instituted by the Lord Jesus Christ. And true believers in him are the only subjects Christ instituted these ordinances for. See, what we, we, we baptize only believers. That's the only ones we baptize. We don't baptize anyone Who's not a believer? Somebody comes forward, and I'm sure this is an extreme example, and it would never happen. Somebody comes forward and says, I don't believe in Jesus Christ. I don't believe in the Bible. I don't believe in any of that stuff the gospel teaches, but I want to be baptized. <laughs> I'd say, you know, I, I love you, brother or sister, but no, you're not a candidate. You're not a proper candidate for that. And that also means that we don't baptize babies. We don't baptize babies. Now, we don't have an age that we say that, oh, before this you can't and after this you can. I'm going to pick on Meredith. I've shared this with you before. Meredith was fairly young, and she came to me and said, I want to be baptized. Why do you want to be baptized? Well, for a while, she couldn't articulate why. But eventually, she said, you know, I said, why do you want to be baptized? Because I believe, she said, that when Jesus died on the cross, he put away my sins when he said it is finished. You know, I don't know how much deep doctrine she understood at that age. She was seven or eight, nine years old. I don't remember exactly. That's a proper candidate for baptism right there. Because they believe, you know, what did he say in Acts chapter eight? He said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. He said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. 
You know, sometimes I've known of churches that would almost give you a test to see if you're eligible to join. That's not proper. That's not proper at all. But, but it is important and proper that we assure ourselves as a church that that person is a believer. See, that comes from Scripture. I'm just going to go through a few Scriptures here. We're told that in Acts 2.41, at the day of Pentecost, they that gladly received his word were baptized. Not the ones that didn't, not the babies that were present that couldn't, but they that gladly received his word were baptized. In Samaria, chapter 8 of Acts again, verse 12, we're told that when they had believed Philip, they were baptized, you see. You remember the Ethiopian eunuch? We've already talked about him. He believed. When Peter was dealing with um, Cornelius over there in Acts 10 and verse 11, Peter's reporting back to them in chapter 11 and verse 17. He says, For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us who believed the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? Those were believers, you see. At Corinth, we're told that Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. And many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. See, we believe in believer's baptism. And by the way, that is the historical position of Baptists throughout the centuries. There were those called Anabaptists. They were called Anabaptists during the time of the Reformation and actually in the centuries from the time the Catholic Church was established all the way up to the Reformation and even past. And those Anabaptists, the word literally means rebaptizers, they were called that because they would not accept the infant baptism that had been done, the sprinkling that had been done in the Catholic Church. And even in those Reformers, the Lutherans and the Calvinists and all those, they still believe, and to this day, most of them still believe that it's okay to baptize babies. I don't want to get on that this morning because that would take up a lot of time, but maybe one day I'll preach on infant baptism particularly. We, believe, we baptize only those who believe. And, and there's one other element, and I want to kind of leave you with this this morning. We baptize only the repentant. Only the repentant. Notice what it says back over in the book of Mark. Turn with me over there to the first chapter. Mark starts off, I like, I like the way Mark takes us right into the work of John the Baptist and Jesus, right into their ministries. The others I enjoy, it's important to know the background of the birth of Christ and those other, but here we just, Mark is just straight to the point. And you know, according to history, Peter is the one who dictated the book of Mark to Mark. So most likely this came directly from the mouth of Peter who was under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost and Mark as well. I'm not saying Mark wasn't, but what Mark wrote, he was inspired by God. Notice what it says in Mark chapter 1 and verse 4. John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And notice what happened. There went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. You see, John preached repent. And he, he the ones who came and submitted themselves to baptism, confessed their sins. In other words, they, that doesn't mean they stood there necessarily and told everybody all the bad things they'd done. 
But the idea was they were confessing that they were sinners. We don't have confession here at this church. But when you come forward to ask uh, for a membership in this church and to submit to New Testament baptism, what you're doing is you are confessing that you're a sinner. You're in need of salvation. And the only hope you have is what the Lord Jesus Christ did on the cross. And that's what they were doing. They came in here and they submitted themselves. Uh, that, that, you know, Christ hadn't come yet and hadn't died yet. Um, but they understood that they needed that. They already knew it. Just like Job already knew it. He said, I know my Redeemer lives. Why? Because I need one. I have to have a Redeemer. I'm a sinner. He said, I know he lives and he'll stand in the latter day upon this earth. And he'll call to me, he tells us in one place. He'll have a desire to the work of his hands. You know, he's not talking about he wants that old corrupt flesh. He's talking about I have a desire to that which I wrought in your heart. <laughs> I want that part. That's, that's the real you, by the way, child of God. You, you, you look around your life like I do sometimes and you say, man, what a sinner I am. Oh, my goodness. How could the Lord ever want such as I? Well, here's the thing. He doesn't really want all of that. He wants the real you. See, the real you is what's inside you. And guess what? It's never sinned at all. Can you believe that? There's, there's something in us that has never committed a sin. I can't fathom that. But you know, sometimes I get hints of it. I get a little whiff of it because I know how badly I hate the sins that I do. I know how badly I hate the fact that I am a sinner. I keep doing it. I keep struggling with it. But there's something in me that one day is going to be satisfied. That he's going to take it home and away from this old flesh. I mean, we're going to be a bodies of flesh up there, but it's not going to be the corrupt flesh, you see. We're going to be bodily in his presence. In verse 14, Jesus preached the same message. Verse 14, now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. What's the gospel of the kingdom of God? Here it is. And saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Repent, you see. Jesus preaches repent. Over in Acts, again, you can turn there at some point and read the, the message to Pentecost in Acts 2, 38. When they say, men and brethren, what should we do? They, they were pricked in their heart, remember? They began to realize again, as I said earlier, they'd been born of the Spirit. They knew they needed to do something. Peter tells them exactly what to do. He says, repent ye and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. The word repent literally means to change your mind or to think differently about something. Now, it's not just saying, I think I'll turn over a new leaf and I'll go a different way. You know, true repentance, first of all, is granted you in the new birth. You don't have a mind to repent. Before you're born again, the only mind you have is that natural mind, which loves sin, loves all that's in the world, loves the pig pen of life. But when you've been born again, there's something else in you, a new mind that hates all that. That's why the prodigal son, it could be said of him that he came to himself. It wasn't to his old man self. It was to his new man self. And that word means more than just, I'm sorry I got caught. It means that I've got a real different feeling towards sin. Now, don't, don't, let me just quickly say, don't get discouraged by the fact that you do still have something inside you that loves sin. You know, sometimes I would get so down and I let that side of me 
take over so much that I feel like I'm not even a child of God. You know, uh, that song we sing, am I really born again? <laughs> you know, sometimes I question that. But praise God, there's that other part of me that's maybe sub submerged sometimes to the other old man. But but that part of you really literally hates sin. So when it comes to baptism, and we'll sort of wrap up with this. When it comes to baptism, you say, preacher, you say you only baptize the repentant. What does that mean? Well, the only way that I know to describe it is the way the scripture describes it. Back in Matthew chapter 3, turn over there as we bring this to a close. In Matthew chapter 3, beginning there in verse 1, we've already talked about how that this is an account of John preaching in the wilderness, and he's preaching this message, repent for the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of heaven the kingdom of God is at hand. And over here in verses 5 and 6, we've already read it, but we'll read them again. It says, when, Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But notice here what he says. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Now, these are some very wicked religious leaders that were doing things contrary to the word of God. They had shown forth a really uh, wicked lifestyle, okay? So what does John say about that? He says, bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance. And, don't, and think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say to you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. Now here's what my point is. The way we know that someone is repentant is they bring forth fruits that show repentance. That is, that word meat there means befitting or congruous with this particular pathway of life. So therefore, that means a practicing adulterer, a practicing fornicator, a practicing consistent thief, a willing drunkard, a practicing homosexual, all of those are unfit candidates for baptism. Someone who is continuing actively in a sin. But let me tell you something else. There is room all day long in the church of God for former adulterers, former thieves, former drunkards, former homosexuals, people who are not practicing anymore, you see. See, that's the point, is that when we come to the church, we, bring forth, we, are, we ought to bring forth fruits that show that we are repentant and we don't continue down the same path. Now, listen, I get it. We're not talking about perfect church members. Guess what? I, I recommit some of those same sins every day. You know, as I stand before you right now, I'm a former glutton. Okay, because I've repented of it and I'm trying my best to get out of it. But you know what else, else I know? I'll struggle with it this week. But I don't love it anymore, you see. I don't love it like I did. I know better and I'm trying. See, you don't, 
we don't expect perfect lives, but we do expect repentant lives. God expects that when we come to the church. And we're never going to get it just right. But those that are repentant believers are proper candidates to be members here of Zion Church or of any church of God, wherever it may be. And I'm thankful that we try to hold to those old paths. I appreciate your kind attention this morning. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.